Welcome to the A to Z Sports Preds Nashcast, aka the only way to experience Preds hockey if you don't have cable. I'm your host, Alex Darty, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Link, today, and we have a ton of stuff to cover. First of all, the Preds are back. The shortened NHL season is nearly here. We will talk all about how a 56-game season affects the Preds and their chance at the playoffs. Uh, speaking of the Preds, they've got a very different roster from last year. We'll go into that. And speaking of new things, David Poyle told us in October that we could expect a youth movement. Are we actually going to see that? Um, we will decide that later. But before we get started, how are you doing, Link? How are you? It's been a while. Uh, it has it has been a while, but I am I am doing very well. I'm at just kind of a exciting start to the 2021 year, and. Hopefully an exciting start to the 2021 hockey season. Who, who knows? It's the Natural Predators. Excitement is not exactly <laughs> their history. Yeah, um, I'm. I think maybe the biggest thing we don't know is, well, we don't know if this is actually going to happen because already we're hearing rumors of uh, of COVID tests coming back positive, and and I think the Dallas Stars had to shut their stuff down. So, like, not being in a bubble, this is totally unpredictable. The bubble went well last year um, as far as COVID related, is related. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of things we don't know. And uh, that I, I think as of now, we have games scheduled. And that's, yeah. that's what we have right now. It, it's tough. Um, you know, I look at how a lot of the European soccer leagues have been doing. And I think you look at the, like the English Premier League, and, and you've had several teams who have had had to shut down skip games because of covid positive uh results on the, on their team i think you know austin villa has had villa has had issues uh, a few others have had issues where they're getting delayed it, it makes me wonder how you're going to pull that off in north america right. how you're going to pull it off in the united states because it really comes down to every person recognizing that they're going to make additional sacrifices they're going to further isolate themselves it's not just the coaches it's not just the players it's the staff, the guys who are, you know, making sure players have their right labeled bottle of fancy electrolyte water, you know, so that, so that everyone's got their right preferred blend and flavor. You know, everybody has to do everything exactly correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think um, it, it'll be tricky to see how it starts um, and finishes all that. In, But I, I think what we should probably do is just assume that everything is going to work fine. Uh, which is yeah, everything's uh, gonna be fine. Yeah, everything's gonna be fine. And uh, talk about this team because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of changes. Um, just to go over the the big ones. Obviously, the the one of the bigger changes from last year uh, are all the players that are not there. Most notably, including Kyle Turris, who was bought out, who has now signed a deal in Edmonton. Uh, Craig Smith, long time. Predator Craig Smith. Don't, I predicted- don't even bring up Craig Smith when my heart is still hurting. Okay. I know. I, I I remember talking to Chris Martell, our good friend Chris Martell, about how Craig Smith was not going to be on this roster next year, and I was I ended up being right. I'm not right about a lot, so I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, it um, still it still hurts. Yeah, Craig Smith signed a three year deal in Boston. Uh, Nick Benino has been traded to Minnesota. I think they um, decided that his value was high enough to trade him finally. Um, Austin Watson trade, excuse me, traded to Ottawa. Dan Hamus has retired, and then can, can, go ahead. Can I just say what a beautiful trade it is to send Austin Watson, a player of, and I know the world disagrees with so many of us, 
a marginal non-contributing player to a team that I would consider to be a non a, a marginal non-contributing hockey team. Like Ottawa. He, he's gonna have a really good permanent place in Ottawa if he wants to be there because they have no expectations of performance. You don't have to go there and play well. If you go there and you say the big boy hockey words, they're gonna be super pleased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think um I think he'll probably succeed in that role. I mean, there's a lot of that, a lot of Austin Watson that needs to be just like you know new new home. I think that's kind of what we what he what he needed. But um, yeah, that's I mean, and it was like kind of the whole saga with Austin Watson has been just a, a really crazy one. And uh, the fact that I still remember when they re they extended him extended his contract in the middle of a game that was ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, it's an attachment to a player who you don't need that attachment, and I, I, it's nice to kind of see Poyle move on from yes. a number of inexplicable contracts. I agree. Yes. So, uh, so Dan Hamus has retired. Uh, several other guys like San, uh, Stephen Santini, Cobrini Holzer, Colin Blackwell. Those those folks are not back. But let's talk about the players that are back, and that would include. Uh, well, not our back, but so players who are now on the team. They will Cousins, be back. <laughs> will be back in camp or the team or something. Yeah, exactly. Nick Cousins signs a two-year deal, uh, a sort of center wing combo guy who has played on several different teams, including mm-hmm. one-time Philadelphia Flyer. Uh, yeah. Brad Richardson uh, signed a one-year, one million dollar deal, the David Poyle special. Um, long-time center in the league. Uh, Luke Cunning is who they traded for. For uh, they traded Nick Benino to get him, as well as some draft picks, and then they signed him just recently to a two-year, four point six million dollar deal. A little higher than I thought they would, he would get, but yeah, it's a little higher. Uh, and then a veteran defenseman, Mark Borbietsky, uh, of formerly of Ottawa, uh, two-year, four million dollar deal. That that was that's. I was pretty shocked that they they signed him, and all sign early signs say that that was a pretty good signing. I mean, he seems like a pretty good dude, right? Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no complaints here. Yeah, uh, Matt Benning, two year, two million dollar year, young defenseman out of Edmonton, who I think a lot of Edmonton Oilers fans were hoping that they would resign. He looks like a pretty good young player, uh, and then Eric Halla, who has been uh, several different teams. He was in Minnesota, he was in Vegas, he was in Carolina. He signed a one-year deal, and then Mikhail Granlund is back. Boy, am I shocked about that because there was almost no chance that he was going to be re-signed, according to David Poyle, and then really according to most, he was going to test free agency. Well, yeah, he tested free agency, and free agency kind of bit back. I mean, that was, but that was the COVID free agency period. Nothing quite happened exactly. like you'd expect. Though I will say, like looking at some of the projected salary models that are out there. The Predators like consistently overpaid every piece of talent they got compared to a lot of teams underpaying in the yes. market. So that was right. a big surprise. Um, yeah, the Grandland act coming coming back. I just figured he didn't really want to be with the organization. That was my assumption. Like he wanted to go somewhere um, that he felt yeah. was going to be more competitive. But it didn't seem like the teams that were going to be more competitive wanted Grandland because he he had just sort of disappeared in Nashville. Like mm-hmm. they, how how could they have any confidence they were going to get? Minnesota Wild Grandland and not Nashville Grandland. Uh, I, I think that's that's got to be part of it. I think he had to have overvalued his 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 worth, right? I mean, like I I think um, he was he was at five something last year, five million a year, and I I want to yeah. say he was probably going for like six or more. He was probably due for a raise, but it just wasn't in the cards. Yeah, well, I, that's that's where it's going to make it hard to get in the future talent to come to Nashville because. 
all these players are seeing guys like Johansson and Duchesne and Granlund show up here and just disappear. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, they're even seeing you know problems with uh, with Forsberg and problems with Arvidsson. Like, is this really? If you're an offensive geared player, is this really where you go? Like, yeah. is it really going to do anything for you? Is, is there like a curse on the on the arena that keeps you from playing well and scoring goals? I mean, I, what happens if Craig Smith puts up a thirty goal season? It's gonna happen in, in Boston. It's gonna happen. You know, like he, he's been so consistent in that twenty goal range that what if he has a couple huge seasons? Even even in, in, even though he's like over that thirty mark, his job is to go out there and shoot pucks as often as hard as he can. Yeah. I, I would not be shocked if that happens at all, honestly. I don't know about 30 goals, but he'll he'll put up 20, 25 easy. And, you know, maybe yeah, he'll... I mean, but that's what he does. I mean, that's that's his job. That's why you pay him money. And, and it's... A, I'm still... If they just let him walk, if they said, Craig, we're not really interested in signing you, we're going to let you walk. I mean, that is just... An, that is an insane thing for the Predators to do. If... if it, it's more down to Smith wanting to change his scenery, doing something yeah. new with his life and career. I totally get that. But, like, the Predators just letting him walk mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he's so, dedicated to the team. He puts up the points. I and mean, the rest of the roster is, I don't know, it's weird to me. This this feels like the team is regressing back to the Barry Trotz years. You think so? This feels like, this feels like 98, 1998 through 2014. Mm. It's trying to be tougher to play against. It's totally go- seems to be going in on scoring by committee because if we base it off of the past couple of years where you're not getting big offensive seasons from your big offensive players, you need goals up and down the roster. Though I don't know if that solves the problem here because right? you've yeah. you've lost a lot of positive movement. You lost the almost the entire All-American line and uh, that was so productive last season. Right, right, right. So, I just, I don't know. I'm a little perplexed by the moves. I I like several of them. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do, first of all, I do like that they bought out Craig, uh, Kyle Turris. I, I think that that had to happen. I think that was, I think, honestly, the value of that is, um, I don't understand why it never worked here, uh, but if they were going to have to, they had to, they had to move on from that. And they had to, they had to get some, they had to free up some cash and, and that's what they did. Yeah, I mean that contract made him untradeable, unfortunately. Right. And he, yeah. he's a, he's he's got value to a team. Like, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I think that some of the replacements make a lot of sense. I think that they, I think they definitely upgraded the blue line, and I think that was a big part oh, of it. Oh, I think yeah. Borbietsky will be better than Dan Hamus was on that same kind of role, bottom pairing, left side, and then Matt Benning is a much better young defenseman than Yannick Weber. So, so if you assume that uh, I'm gonna, I'm continuously gonna butcher the name. It's it's Burrow. It's it's actually pronounced Borvietsky. Oh, Borvietsky. Okay, that's yeah. what I would have. Okay. Yeah. Borvietsky. Okay. Yeah. That makes because it's is it Polish? I think so. Polish think names so. are always a challenge. Um, yeah. Uh, you look up look up the name Casper uh, Shabilko and you'll see what I mean. Um, <laughs> if you can even if you can even find him on the internet, googling that phonetically, I'll be impressed. Uh, um, yeah. I'm not so, um, between him and Benning. Uh, I, I think the Predators may have one of the best third pairings in the NHL right now. I think it's definitely top five. Hmm. Wow. Um, I, the, the problem with the defense is still going to be Dante Fabro. Right. Um, can he can he grow from his from his rookie season? He needs to. He desperately needs to. 
uh, because he's not, he was, he was bad. He hurt, um, he hurt the second pairing quite a lot. You know, Ekholm just didn't, Ekholm had to spend way too much time babysitting. Even when you stuck Yossi and Fabro together, Yossi was struggling with Fabro as his partner. You know, at what point does Fabro just get dropped down and, and you give maybe Benning a, a shot at the second pairing or something like that? That's interesting. I did not think that the third pairing would be seen as, you know, a top a top I, pairing. But I think, I mean, third pairings are tough. I mean, so you don't want to spend a lot of money there. The Predators really aren't. And right. it's just, the numbers look really solid. That's all you can ask for is, is your third pairing to take the pressure off, play some tough minutes or, or even play some soft minutes against the weaker lines. Mm-hmm. And not make huge mistakes, and that was the Predators' problem the past few years. Is they had too many guys who made too many mistakes on right. on the uh, on the third pairing in the blue line. You know, I think that the 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 forward depth is something that obviously looks a little bit better. I I don't know how good it is, but um, <laughs> they they you know getting someone like Nick Cousins who's versatile. Uh, Eric Halla seems pretty versatile. Luke Cunning seems versatile. I mean, these by versatile I mean yeah. like they can play on either side, oh. they can play center. So, you know, the third line's going to be interesting because I think Nick Cousins is probably, when it comes to the forward core, the Predators' best offseason acquisition. You think so? Yeah, I think so because he has, he's not going to give you a ton of goals, but he's going to play a really good two-way four-checking defensive role. Like, I think you're going to see a ton of Nick Cousins on the on the penalty kill. You're mm-hmm. going to see a ton in difficult matchups. Um, and he's also, he's really there to play babysitter. Because right. Eric Halla is sort of like, eh, he's like a discount, discount Craig Smith. <laughs> you know, like he's, you know, you, you might get 12 goals from him. He's, I mean, he's also coming off a pretty bad injury. Like he hasn't played a lot the last few years because of injury. Right. Um, and, he, and so he's coming back from bad injury. And then, then Kunin is, is the wild card. You know, he doesn't play defense. He just fires the puck. Does that warrant, like... Can that line be effective with that dynamic? And yeah, may, maybe. I, I think that what we've seen so far, and then there, then there's Brad Richardson, who um, I just who? He, who I'm sorry, Brad Richardson. He's on the team. Like he yeah. matters. I, honestly, but, I do not get what you're giving. Like I, that was before. I guess they had the taxi squad because I think if you have a taxi squad, yeah, and you know that's happening, you never sign Richardson. So no, I I, I think honestly, I think Richardson is going to play like every game. <laughs> I think no, he's that's what I lot. fear. That's what I fear. Because you're going to see, like, Tolvanen Tolvin doesn't make the team. Tomasino <laughs> is somewhere else. They're going to have Richardson play on, like, the second pairing or something. It's their second think, line. It's going to be wild. I think Richardson's going to play a lot, uh, assuming he doesn't get injured or anything. I think he's going to play a lot with Nick Cousins. I think so, in training camp we've seen Cousins and Richardson paired together, like, every day. Uh, I think they're going to play together a lot. I think Yarncroc is going to fl- uh, fly up and down the roster. Grimaldi's going to fly up and down the roster. Uh, Sissons, who knows where he's going to go? He might be a top six player now. Um, so uh, that, that's confusing. And then, of course, you've got Mikhail Granlund back. So I think I think the, the signing of Mikhail Granlund solidified that I think you're going to have the Johansson, Arvidsson, Forsberg line back together, and they're going to put Granlund with Duchesne again because that did work. That combination did work. Um, I think that unless it's Ellie Tolvanen as the as their wing, I don't think that that's really going to make a lot of sense because if you put Colton Sissons with Duchesne and Granlund, if you put Yarncroc with Duchesne and Granlund, maybe that works. That, that's tricky, but you've got to have that Craig Smith just 
go shoot the puck and get it on that so every time. Kunin plays on that second line. Okay, so you think Kunin's uh, on there? Well, what is that? Well, you're, well, with what you're describing, I would say your, your right wings are Arvidsson and, and Kunin, right? I mean, I, or, unless Tolvanen makes the team. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say. I mean, there's a lot more stuff on this roster. Because when, when Poy was talking about youth movement, and I know this is our second, this is one of our other topics. Yeah. You know, I, I pictured a lot of guys who you might not think would make the team are suddenly there. I think, you know, you have Trinan, you have Tolvanen. Uh, Tomasino is maybe, you know, can fight his way into a spot because it's open. There's no room for a lot of these guys now. There's room for like one rookie on the main roster. Right, right, right. I, I th- Let, Let's go ahead and get into it because that that is honestly the biggest focus of, of this because we were told, well, David Poyle, uh, who says a lot, I mean, uh, he, he, he gives a press conference um, every year at the end of free agency, at the beginning of the season, all this stuff. Um, and some of the things that he said in, in October, uh, first of all, he's talked a lot about change. Now, he lived up to that. He did make a lot of change on the roster, um, a lot of turnover. And he said all options were on the table when it asked about Kyle Turris, and he bought out Kyle Turris. He, he lived up to that. Then he said things like this. He said, you could go somewhat, you could go from somewhat of an older team right now to a younger team in a very short period of time. He also said, I would like to do a lot of our improvement and changes in-house. That was from uh, a press conference in October. Um, so and he also referenced specific players like Tolvanen, like Pitlick. He referenced Tomasino, Olivier, even players like Tanner Janot. Uh, he referenced Davies and Carrier, two young defensemen. Uh, but then you saw all the changes that he makes. Uh, he goes and gets a veteran defenseman, goes and gets a veteran for, uh, forward in, in Brad Richardson. He goes and gets a couple middle-tier guys like Eric Halla and, and, uh, and, and Nick Cousins. Uh, and then, and then none of, there's really no room for any of these young players to play anywhere. <laughs> so let, me, let me just ask a question because this is what we need to establish. When when we hear the phrase youth movement or team gets younger, what what is what is the age? What is a youth movement age? What is the cap? At it's what a great point question. Are you not longer part of the youth movement because when I look at the additions, only and this is this is being very generous on the age number. Only mm-hmm. Kunin is under the age of twenty six in terms of additions. Every other addition is twenty six or older. Those guys are established players. They've probably been in the league for several years. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not in, like, the early 20s, like, the very early 20s, I would say, like, 20 through, like, 23, you're not really getting younger. You're getting yeah. average. Yeah. Uh, Luke, Luke Cunning is 23. He's probably the youngest there. Eric Halla, 29. Brad Richardson, 35, obviously. Nick Cousins is 27. That is definitely cusp young, but definitely going older, right? I mean, that is, that is you should be at the peak of your skill level. Exactly. And now you're going to start. Exactly. 20 you're going to plateau like exactly you are not considered a young guy at 27 you should be like hitting your stride peaking at your yeah. at your career and then hitting going towards your you know, yeah. the biggest contract of your year yeah. which right this now is, this go this ahead. is no youth movement this is absolutely no youth movement this is <laughs> this is like oh i need to make a team that's going to keep people watching throughout yeah. the year Right. This is a team that can scrape their way into the playoffs and probably do not a whole lot. Now, it, now I will say that could absolutely change if for some reason 
the top two lines, forward lines, turn into what we always dreamed they could be, and, and, and most people around the hockey world believe they could be, but never have been. That mm-hmm. could change everything. Because if you yeah. get, you know, Matt Duchesne at full power, if you get Philip Forsberg at full power, if you get Victor Arvison returning to form from a few, couple seasons ago, right. if you get Ryan Johansson just doing a little bit more and not being a disappointment, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you, know, you, you have something totally different now. By the way, Matt Matt Benning, uh, twenty six. So just just on the cusp of that, I I think Matt Benning. I think we can include Matt Benning in the youth because defensemen are take take a little bit longer to, to develop. So at twenty six, I think he's probably on the younger side. That twenty six year old for, uh, defenseman is probably more like a twenty three or twenty four year old forward, um, just based on like how the how much usage that defensemen usually get. So I think Matt Benning is a definite. It is an example of the youth movement. And then probably someone like Luke Cunning, and then if Tolvanen makes the team, which I think he will. But no, I agree with you. It is not a it is not a youth movement. It is absolutely what you said. It is it is David Poyle. I think the other thing that I will add to what you said, in addition to it being David Poyle needing to make a, a team that people want to watch right now, which is debatable. Uh, I think it's it's a team that saves money. I mean, look how much he, he he went and got a lot of different players for not a lot of cash. I mean, no one over five million. Um, uh, all in the most expensive player was four point six. Uh, so I he got a lot of a lot of cheap players. I think that's probably in based on his insight on where the league is at right now with COVID and with revenue and with spending and all that stuff and the cap. And I think that was a pretty smart move to not go out and sign someone like a Mike Hoffman to an $8 million deal or whatever it was going to be, um, which he was not going to get anyways. Uh, and then knowing that he has to still is going to have to sign big players coming up in RFAs, you know, like, uh, I mean, eventually Phil Forsberg is only two years away from being a UFA. Uh, he's going to have to figure out what to do about his goalie situation. He's going to have to figure out if he wants to sign Matthias Ekholm, um, th- those things as well. So I think it's it's a it's not a youth movement. It is a it is a practical cost saving uh, uh, move in the offseason. It's a classic David Poyle special. Like yeah. that's what we're seeing. This is that's why I said this is like a return to the Barry Trotz years. It is a team yes. that is good enough to probably make the playoffs. Right. It's a team that's probably, based on history, not going to excite you, which is unfortunate because there's so much potential. But that's also the history of the Barry Trotz years, which is yeah. offensive players with tons of potential who, ne- who because of the system or because of some kind of cultural element, never come come uh, come up positive. Um, it's just like I look at it and I want to be excited, but I feel a little bit bummed out because... I, you know, it's like I've been there. I was there yeah. for a long time. But I don't really want to go back there. I thought the team was there fastest. Some, I thought it was growing up. So, just in the interest of of, of um, giving another kind of viewpoint here, I, there, a lot of people say that a lot of those teams between uh, the, the the Barry Trotz years were very watchable. Now, I I did obviously someone like Brad Richardson is not going to be very much fun to watch because he's just kind of older and slow. Maybe okay. Uh, the defenseman could be better. Or, I'm sorry, the defense could be better, which is good. Uh, that are, are these teams going to be that that grinding, tough to play against, tough to score against, and and grind out some some good um, you know tough goals in front of the net? But like like the teams we saw, not not the not the Paul Korea, Jason Arnott, but I'm talking about like the Smithson, 
2011, 2012, those playoff teams that were pretty fun to watch and were like good defensively and were were in it every night. Do you think are we going to see that? Well, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a goal. And it may seem a little odd when you look at like the top two lines because we're going to talk about the top two lines a lot because that's really where this all is, right? Uh, and you know, I, I was looking there was a quote from Forsberg this past week where he was like, "Oh, you know, I'm really enjoying playing this tougher game," you know, like. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm paraphrasing, but like that just tells me that there's a culture that like they're trying to establish a culture now, and it's a uh-huh. culture more akin to what Predators fans grew up watching. There's gonna be some nostalgia involved. But I think one of the key things with the history of the Predators, and you know, any fan of of any team in the league could, would argue probably that they're the same way. Um, but I want to I want to make Nashville fans be special for a minute. <laughs> but you know, this has been a fan base that is very that historically has been very tight and close with their team. I mean that in that, like, always been the underdogs, always mm-hmm. been, like, the unloved Southern team. Because even, like, even, like, Tampa and Florida, and, like, they all have, like, their moments in the sun, and, you know, Nashville had theirs. But, like, for a long time, it was like, you know, oh, we're in the littlest, we're just the littlest market, we're just the the uh, the Nashville Predators. And people just really, like, people really, their favorite players were not often the mm-hmm. offensive guys. Like, people... Right. I, this is my recollection, so you know maybe other people have other memories, but I remember people just hating Jason Arnett for some reason. <laughs> like he was the best offense. He's probably one of the best offensive players to ever be you on know, the team in terms of just output. You're but, right. Like, yeah, people just didn't like him for some. Yeah, reason. he he was like um, he was kind of like uh, he, he no, you're absolutely right. You nailed it. Now, but I, people, I but people. I don't think like, that I don't think that that was founded in any kind of like hockey sense. Like I think that I think he was obviously like you said he was very offensively talented. He was very good, but he wasn't who the other predators that they liked were like. You know, he wasn't like right, because, Weber. He wasn't like uh, a Jared Smithson or a Patrick Hornquist or a Mar- even a Martin Erat. Like he wasn't or David Legwand. Well, even Erat got a lot of crap. You know, like it's yeah. it's the guys who I remember. Like you, you mentioned Smithson. I think about like Smithson and like Greg Zanin and um, Rag Bonk and like like there's probably a pile of players I'm just I've forgotten. They were all deeply beloved, but they were like Jordan Jordan Tutu, a big example. yeah. Like the the grinders, the the personality guys, the energy guys. Like those were. And Jason Arnott players. was like Jason Arnott was like this like uh, supposed to be this yeah he he sort of came in as like this like elite uh, off- offensive guy and he obviously had two of the best offensive years that the Predators had had up until recently. He's also and, a captain uh, for a little for br- briefly. And for some reason that didn't really sit right with I think you're, you you absolutely nailed it that, that's very true. So but I don't I don't think my argument is I don't think that we're gonna have uh, that type of team i don't think we're going to have that type of team where um like those 2011 2012 uh teams where they first of all they were very structurally i think they were organized pretty well um and they obviously had great goaltending and that was a huge part of it and great defense um i don't think they have the same level now could they get there with a guy like nick cousins who i think you referenced as one of their best offensive off-season pickups Nick Cousins is a guy that I, 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 having watched his play across different teams, seems like a guy that w- would gel pretty well in that role. And I mean, he, he's he's very much a sandpaper guy. Like he he very much gets under the skin of the other team. I know that's 
a common phrase. If, but if, if it were, if this were 2001 or even like 2011, he would be like the team's first or second line center. Like, <laughs> That's very true. You might be now. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, who knows? I mean, no, Deshane had, had a pretty unlucky year. I, I think he's going to be better next year. I think Nick uh, Nick Cousins will be a good replacement uh, fan player for people who are missing Austin Watson, I think. I am not comparing Nick Cousins and Austin Watson in any other way. I'm just saying the people who are missing that element and who like that part of it will, I think, glom onto Nick Cousins pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, um, he's a responsible, reliable workhorse player who, who just goes out and performs. Um, that's ten, his history. Yeah, he's 10 times better with the puck than Austin Watson ever was. So, I, yeah, don't, don't I don't want to make it sound like <laughs> this I'm This is apparently not just an Austin Watson hate podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so that, I, I think, I think we've, I think we're pretty much in agreement that, like, uh, th- this is not a youth movement, but it is something else from David Poe. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Well, I do think that he basically did oh it's it's a it's you know it's a it's a water treading team in a lot of ways which is fine i mean this is this is a difficult this is gonna be a difficult season yeah weird season let's let's tread water let's keep people engaged like you need a good television audience Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about the the, what the schedule is going to be like this this will be um this is going to obviously be very different uh, if, if you are uh, just tuning back into the nhl uh there is a new schedule a new format to to accommodate lack of travel for COVID. Um, they are going to play 56 games only starting next Thursday with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they're only going to play these seven opponents that are in the new-look Central Division. That would be Columbus, Chicago, Florida, Tampa, Dallas, Carolina, and Detroit. So a couple teams they've already been playing, Chicago and Dallas, and then five new teams that they will see only... They're only going to see these seven teams, and... Um, I, when I first heard about this, I thought that there was a chance that they would be in a division with someone like a Detroit and maybe Columbus, and I figured probably the Florida the, the Florida teams. Uh, I didn't think that they would be stuck with Dallas again, but my original thought was that they would probably be with St. Louis and Minnesota, and they, they avoided that. Um, geographically, I think that made more sense, but whatever. I guess they decided to put them in the West. Um I think that they have a better chance of making the playoffs with this particular division than they would have otherwise. Remember that the adjusted playoffs are that the top four automatically advance. Uh, there is no wild card. So if you, if you make the top four in your division, you're in the playoffs. So uh, what do you think? About which which part of it? <laughs> About do, do you think that they have a better chance of making the playoffs with this group of players or with this group of teams? Um. No, I think I think their chance of playoffs is about the same if they had been in in the traditional central division versus this modified central division. Okay. Um, just I, you know, actually, wait. Let me, let me think about that a little bit because I did it earlier, and this is what I thought. But I'm like, hmm. I think I get, let's 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 go through it real quick Cause, because cause I think before, yeah. No, because so, they've got two teams to beat up on now instead of one team to beat up on. Right, right, right. So Tampa is the, the favorite. The Predators are more competitive with the Panthers and the Blue Jackets than they would be with St. Louis and Minnesota. Absolutely, yeah, for sure, without a doubt. I think that they they, they really – well, in Colorado too. So like considering that they don't have Colorado, Winnipeg, who always gives them fit, St. Louis – 
Colorado, Winnipeg, St. Louis. Those three teams. Now, for some reason, the Predators did really well against St. Louis the last couple of years in the regular season, even though the Blues won a cup. I don't know why that happened. It was just some crazy – their matchup was poor even, and they still beat them a lot. But uh, St. Louis, Colorado, Winnipeg, those three teams better than the Predators right now. I think there's no yeah. doubt. Like, those are, those are better. But Columbus, Florida, Carolina – and then, obviously, the Predators are better than Detroit and Chicago right now. There's no doubt about that in my mind. I think those are the those are the bottom two. But Columbus, Florida, and Carolina, that's an easier road than Colorado, Winnipeg, um, St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, I think I had a moment of, of, like, complete insanity that I have to recover from. Because, yeah, if I'm looking at the traditional central, the Predators don't make the playoffs. Yeah, they're not Probably. the top. They're not in the top four. They're not beating... Um, they're, consistently, they're yeah. not beating uh, uh, St. Louis, Dallas, um, Colorado, and Winnipeg. Well, and then you're going to play with long shots. Yeah, they're long like, shots. I would say like 45, 40, 45% chance of making the playoffs in the yeah. old Central. I think – th- go ahead. In, and then in the new Central, I, I think, honestly, they gain 10 percentage points. They're probably going up to a 50, 55% chance of making the playoffs. Say- I was going to say 60. I, I, I would be willing to say about, about 60% chance that they make the playoffs. That is based on a couple things happening that I think will probably happen. First of all, I think, uh, well, Columbus now, they're one of their best young players. Pierre-Luc Dubois is, is like a holdout or going to be traded or something. Uh, Florida has lost quite a bit. Uh, they're still they're still good, but I don't know. Carolina will be great, obviously. I don't think there's... I, I think that they'll, Carolina will finish above Nashville. If I'm picking it right now, I think Nashville finishes in fourth and makes the playoffs. I think. I, yeah, I think that's that's reasonably likely. I mean, that's when I jotted down the, the order. That's where I had the, the Predators in a, in, a, in a kind of soft fourth place. Yeah. Um, it's just because this is a team, and we talked about this throughout the show. Uh, if things go right for the team, they could be good. They could even be great. I if. Yeah. They get out there, and those top two lines are firing. The third line is a solid, like booster line. The fourth line, which is going to be, which has great depth, mm-hmm. that fourth line, um, they could easily be challenging for a much better placement. Let me make let me make a uh, a crazy argument that's gonna you're probably gonna want to call um, uh, the authorities and alert me for uh, a health check because you're gonna think I'm crazy. There is a scenario that the Predators could challenge for first in the division. So here it is. Tampa Tampa doesn't have Nikita Kucherov to start the season. Actually, they're not him at all, I don't think. They're best player. Uh, They still have a great lineup, but does that single drop-off hurt them in other ways? They also, uh, they've they've got, they had a cap crunch. I think they lost a couple other guys. Um, They also just won a cup. Maybe there's a come down from that. Dallas, I think, was riding high, and I think was pretty overinflated in terms of their um, their their real ceiling. They're still great, but Nashville, if they get the the Jofa line working the way it should, and Matt Duchesne returns to what he's supposed to be with that defense and with the goalies they have, there's no reason they couldn't challenge for the first spot in the division. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's the frustrating. That's going to be the frustrating thing about these Predators because it could very easily. I think. They are every bit as likely to finish in first as they are to be, like, trying to fight to stay right above the Red Wings in Chicago. Like, they could go either way because I think the defense doesn't worry me that much. You know, Fabro has problems, but they're addressable problems. He's not worse 
than the third than anyone on the third pairing last season. So if you need to drop him down to the third pairing, you can do that. I don't think it's a huge deal. Right. Um, but it all comes down to what happens in net because we haven't talked about Rene or Saros at all. We have. Does Saros seize the leadership le- leading role? Does Rene have a return to form? Do either of them perform? <laughs> uh, and then where did the goals come from? Yeah. The team did not really replace the goals they lost. Now, there is enough talent, historically, in that forward core to score a ton of goals, to set national predators scoring records. That talent exists. Whether or not we see it, and whether or not uh, Heinz can bring it out of the team, is, is what we're waiting to see. Because there is something, you know, everyone's always like, Joe Philan, Joe Philan, Joe Philan. Well, guess what? That's not the three best forwards in the team playing together. Have you know, and and there is history of Duchesne and Forsberg playing extremely well oh, together. Correct. Yes, Duchesne and so, Forsberg. Yeah. Like you know, at what point do you do you stop mixing the lines? Because you were talking, you were making me sweat practically earlier. You're talking about line shuffling and players moving up and down the roster. Because <laughs> I think that is what has been dooming the Predators. Is I agree. You know, yeah. And, and this is, you can go back and listen to shows where we were talking about Laviolette's approach of you have pairings with a, with a floater player, so you have a lot of line shuffling. And, really, and I think I probably said there's such a creative, interesting, positive way to run a team. And I might have been dead wrong. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> the Never. Predators had a, suffered from a lack of chemistry and consistency in the last couple of years. Uh, and I think that's hurt the player's ability to produce. I mean, hockey is, is a sport like soccer in a lot of ways where you have to know where your teammates are innately yeah and you, you know don't and that's is. only through time and minutes and repetition if yeah. you don't have those things you can't make those assumptions and then the flashy stuff the stuff that wins that often will like turn the tide or help you win playoff series they don't happen because there's not that trust and that confidence yeah right um it'll be interesting and, and you mentioned Rene and soros we're going to devote a plenty more time to talk about Rene and Soros and the goaltending and, and talk about John Hines too. And th- he's had some new coaches. We're going to talk about all that uh, probably on future episodes. Uh, and uh, there's, there's more than enough to talk about with these, with, with these Nashville predators. I think, uh, well, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll just conclude. Remember that there are no fans in the stadium or in the arena for, uh, for the month of January. Uh, if assuming that the games happen, um, and also a quick note on our on our format here. So uh, we we this is the season, the second season of the Preds Nashcast, and we will um, we kind of we're going to change it up a little bit because we're going to record every week on Sundays uh, with episodes to drop every Sunday night or Monday morning. One of the two, it'll be ready for you Monday morning, no matter what. And uh, it'll be on the A to Z Sports podcast podcast network, uh, which you can subscribe to on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Uh, but it'll be weekly, so I, I'm looking forward to that. I think weekly makes sense, uh, and it'll also be a little shorter. We had a little bit longer of a format last time, and I think that worked. But I think we're going to try to shorten it since we're going to do it every week. So, um, uh, I, I'm looking forward to that, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. I, I mean, it's going to be so strange at first because there's not going to be fans in the in the, in the arena, uh, even though that was how it was with the bubble. I think it's going to be different with Bridgestone, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, do you think uh, do, do you think we're gonna get fans back in the in Bridgestone Arena soon? Uh, I well, okay. Will we get fans back in the arena? So, yeah, soon. I think they're gonna try. Yeah, I think at some point they're gonna try. I think it's a terrible idea. 
Um, I do too. You know, it, it, you look at what Florida's doing, and they're still going forward. What twenty five percent capacity? Yeah, twenty five. Yeah. I mean, I think like I think it's them and so Dallas. Tottenham, the more. Tottenham Stadium, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London can seat over sixty thousand people. They have the only times they've allowed fans in the stands a couple times this season. They've only allowed like two thousand people in. So what does that translate to a team like Nashville that can seat seventeen thousand people? Yeah, that's like they're gonna allow a few hundred fans. Five like, hundred fans. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's like the only way to do this safely. Yeah, right. Uh, so you know, maybe, I think they're gonna try at some point. It's probably not a good idea. Certainly, what Florida's doing, what right. Panthers are doing, is not wise at all. But then, I mean, look at Florida in general. I mean, it's not like <laughs> they're about good decisions. I think that since they since they said in the release that they were going to do the no fans thing uh, in January, I think starting in February they're going to try to bring some fans back. I think it's going to be very small. I think I think it'll be like fifteen. It's going to be very it, it, fifteen hundred is probably too many, but yeah, I mean you yeah. need you need a lot of space and you have to really figure out where you're going to sit people and make sure they don't move around where they're not supposed to. I mean it's right. yeah. Um, all right, so uh, thank you for checking us out. This is. Uh, this is the start of something fun uh, for this season. Uh, it'll be um, it'll it'll be a ride, that's for sure. Uh, you can check out all of our hockey coverage at a2zsportsnational.com. Please follow me on Twitter at alexdarty1. Follow Link at 3D Link. And uh, any final thoughts? Anything you want to throw out there at the end? I always do this to you. You always do it to me. Yeah. Um, I, my my one hope is that uh, maybe the shorter season format is popular enough to stick. I would like to see fewer oh. games in a hockey season, and I think I think maybe this could be a lesson learned, and, it, and because of the timing, we can do that. I think I think it'd be good for the players. I think it'd be good for the on-ice product to have less exhausted players. So something sh- that, that I'm hoping is successful. Just shorten the season or also condense it like it is now, because it's pretty condensed. No, right? just, just fewer games. Fewer okay. games. Don't need to shorten the season. Just let's shave some, some games off. Yeah. Um, let's protect the players a little bit more. Got it. All right. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you guys next week.